Our passage today comes from James 3, and if you'd like to follow along, it's in your bulletin. Hear now the word of God from James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Father God, you are holy, 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 and you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy from the praise of our tongues, um, and we should adore you. And I pray that uh, we do this now today. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship you, um, to sing praises to you and to hear your word. I pray that uh, your spirit would be with us, that it would be calming our hearts, um, that it would be opening our ears, and that uh, your word would be spoken through me today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't blink or you'll miss it. We use this phrase to refer to how fast time passes. Now that may not have been the case this morning as you got an extra hour of sleep, but there really are some things faster than the blink of an eye. For example, did you know that a rattlesnake can strike faster than the blink of an eye? When they strike, their head accelerates at 20 Gs, which is three times as much as you'll ever get on a roller coaster. And our words can be the same way. They can strike out of nowhere. I'm sure we're all familiar with this in 2020. We're stuck inside. The stress and the tension is amplified. The pressure builds and we lash out with our words. Now a snake only strikes humans when they feel threatened. Likewise, when our desires feel threatened, we lash out. But our biting and hurtful words show that in reality, the perceived threat is not the problem. It merely exposes the problem. Our mouth is the channel to our hearts, and our speech shows that there's something not quite right. Our speech is merely a symptom of our sinful hearts. 
In our passage, James says, these things ought not to be so. In a sense, they're unnatural, not the way things were supposed to be. And Jesus came to fix this for us. So in our passage today, the big idea is that because God has purified our hearts, then our speech can bear good fruit. Because God has purified our hearts, our speech can bear good fruit. We're going to consider this idea under three points. Disproportion, devilish, and detox. First, the disproportionate impact of the tongue. James really knows how to grab your attention. He goes from, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead, to not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. It's an effective way to transition topics and introduce his next point. The tongue is a very powerful thing, and our words carry a lot of weight. Accordingly, it can create a lot of problems. As Uncle Ben famously told Peter Parker, aka Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And this is especially true for teachers of God's word. Teachers will be judged with greater strictness because they regularly engage that activity hardest to keep from sin, one's speech. Their constant use of the tongue puts them at greater risk of stumbling. And if they stumble in speech, those that they teach could be led astray. This is a sobering warning for any of us considering this calling. But James isn't just addressing would-be teachers. He's addressing all of us because we all run our mouths. James says we all stumble in many ways, but this is most clearly seen or heard in our words. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. This just shows how much power our tongue possesses. If we could control our tongue, we could control our bodies. We'd be perfect. Now that's quite the claim, but you don't just need to take James's word for it. Throughout the rest of the Bible, we see that the primary evidence of our fallen state is our tongue. In Romans 3, Paul says that none are righteous, no, not one. And his evidence for this is that their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Or consider Isaiah's vision of the Lord. What did he say when he saw the Lord sitting upon his throne? Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why does the tongue have such an outsized influence, such a disproportionate impact? It's because our speech speaks volumes about our hearts. As we read in our law passage, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Our tongues are like the stethoscope of our hearts. You know those things that doctors and PAs carry around? They ask you to take a deep breath and they listen to your heart. Our mouths are like that spiritually. They give us a sounding of the health of our hearts. They tell us what we desire and fear, what we love and hate, what we're worried about and what we take for granted. James illustrates the power of our mouths 
by comparing it to, to other small things that have a disproportionate impact. The bit that guides the horse and the tiny rudder that guides the large boat, even when buffeted by strong winds. Then in verse 5, James says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now when we think of boasting, we usually think of like arrogant, bragging. But that's not what James is referring to. Just as the bit and the rudder can boast of great things, guiding larger objects, so also the tongue is small, yet it has a great impact. It reminds me of this baseball player named Jimmy Wynn. He was a small guy. He was about 5'9", 160 pounds. But he could hit the ball as far as guys half a foot taller and 100 pounds heavier. And this earned him the nickname, the Toy Cannon. I love that nickname. <laughs> he didn't look like much, but he really packed some punch. And our tongues are the same way. They're tiny, but they have a huge impact. Now, our speech includes both what we vocalize and also what we tweet, text, post, and snap. But it includes even more than that. It's more than what we just communicate externally. I mean, we're talking to ourselves constantly. We cannot think without formulating words into thoughts. We cannot imagine without painting a word picture. We cannot hate without fueling the fires of resentment. And we cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening to those self-pitying thoughts. In some, we're constantly talking to ourselves, and this talk reveals our hearts. Now the question is, are we talking to ourselves, or are we listening to ourselves? Now that may sound like nonsense, but hear me out. Consider the words that come to you right when you wake up in the morning. You didn't ask for them. They just keep coming. Maybe they bring up the problems of yesterday or the challenges of the upcoming today. Whatever it is, our hearts are constantly talking to us, constantly telling us what we desire and fear. And if we're just listening to those thoughts, then we're listening to ourselves. Our tongues are controlling us. Take, for example, the song we sang earlier, Satisfied in You. The lyrics are taken from Psalm 42, and they show us the difference between talking to yourself and listening to yourself. They read, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I can remember when you, God, showed your face to me. The psalmist's heart is downcast and disturbed, but he's not merely listening to these things. He's talking to his heart. He's reminding his heart to remember God's faithfulness. He's not letting his tongue control him. Likewise, if our tongues were un under control, then we'd refuse to formulate words of self-pity, images of lustfulness, thoughts of anger and resentment. These things would be cut down before they had a chance to well up inside us and direct us. All of this shows the power of our tongues. And because our desires are misguided, our tongues have the power for great harm. And this brings us to our second point, the devilish tongue. James's next analogy notes how the disproportionate impact of the tongue can have grave consequences. 
And this analogy hits closer to home for us here in Southern California. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We need only consider the fires raging in Orange County this week, or the fact that a smoke machine at a gender reveal party can cause a fire that burns over 22,000 acres. Likewise, the tongue can do a lot of damage, whether through a hasty word, a sly suggestion, harmful gossip, or a slight innuendo. These things cause real damage. I mean, just consider how we describe verbal abuse in physical terms, whether that's verbal assault or a tongue lashing, or the fact that we refer to a physical beating as a licking. We all know from experience how ludicrous it is to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I heard one pastor say that whoever came up with that phrase must have been deaf. I heard another say that he'd rather receive a kidney shot than be slandered. Bruises heal a lot faster than the damage caused by words. Like fire, slander and hurtful words can rage out of control. And James says our words have destructive power because the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It's the channel by which all the evil of the world around us spews out from us. It's like the mouth of a river. That's where the river connects with another body of water. And our mouth is like that. It's where the world of unrighteousness meets up with the unrighteousness in our hearts. Returning to the fire idea, our tongue is like the kindling that sets the world ablaze. And James says, if our tongue is the kindling, then hell is the ignition. We see this clearly in the Garden of Eden. Satan, in the form of a serpent, tempts Eve to eat of the forbidden tree. He asks, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? She replies, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But that's not what God said. She added to what God commanded. God never said they couldn't touch the tree. Her speech revealed the desires of her heart. And Satan picked up on this. He stoked the flames of her desire. He says, you will certainly not die. And Eve believed him. She saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes desirous to make one wise. Eve was tempted and enticed by her own desire. She listened to herself. Her tongue was controlling her. So she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now we're just like them. We fall for the same trick. Satan deceives us through our desires. But sadly, that's not all Satan does. He's also our accuser, which is actually what the word Satan means in Hebrew. It means accuser. After deceiving us, he slithers up to heaven and he accuses us day and night before God. He points out our sin to God as if God didn't already know that. And he tells God we deserve punishment. And he's not wrong. We need only look at our tongues to see our unrighteousness. 
Now, if that wasn't bad enough, James says that our tongues are like an untamed beast, practically the only one left in existence. We can tame lions and tigers and bears, oh my, but we can't tame our little old tongue. It's too monstrous for us. That's what James means when he calls it a restless evil. The Greek word for restless conveys the idea of something liable to lash out at any point, like an untamed beast. And if you haven't gotten the picture yet, James says our tongues are full of deadly poison. Like Adam and Eve, we have been deceived by the serpent. Our tongues have become toxic and our tongues have become forked. We see this most clearly in our duplicitous speech. One minute we're using our tongues to bless God, and the next we're using it to curse someone made in his image. One, use it, one minute we're using it to receive the benediction, and the next we're using it to curse the guy who cuts us off on the way home. We can turn back to Genesis 3 to see this in action. After they ate from the tree, Adam and Eve hid from God. And when God confronts them, Adam says, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Not only does he throw Eve under the bus, he actually blames God. It's not my fault. Eve gave me the fruit, and you gave me Eve. So God, with all due respect, it's your fault. Adam, Adam shows us that to curse a person made in God's image is to curse the maker himself. Our mouth is all too often untamed, our tongue all too often toxic, and we need to detox. This is our third point, the detoxification of the tongue. In verse 10, James says that with the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be so. They're inconsistent and unnatural. Just like fig trees don't produce olives, nor grapevines produce figs. Figs naturally come from fig trees, olives from olive trees, salt water from a salty source, salty words from a salty heart, critical words from a critical spirit, and unloving words from a heart estranged from the love of Jesus. What's our immediate reaction to this? If you're like me, you tell yourself to work harder, to speak kinder words, to think better thoughts. But that's like trying to treat the symptom, not the disease. To return to the plant analogy, we can't, we can't become a fig tree by trying to produce figs. We cannot fix our hearts by changing our words. And James says we can't even tame our toxic tongues. Now, one of my favorite movies of all time is True Grit, the 2010 version by the Coen brothers. It's a Western, yet it's full of humor. The book it's based on is also great. It's laugh out loud funny. And in the book, the lead, or I guess in both, the lead character is a devout Presbyterian. And it comes out much more in the book. So if you're interested, I'd highly recommend it. And I don't think this is giving too much away in the story, but one of the characters gets bit by a rattlesnake. Another character tries to help by sucking out the venom from the wound. 
FYI, that doesn't work, so don't try that. Nowadays, we have anti-venom to neutralize the venom's toxic effects. And the main anti-venom actually comes from the blood of sheeps. Likewise, our tongues need the anti-venom from the blood of the lamb. And God has freely provided it in Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. By the blood of the Lamb, we have forgiveness of sins. I mentioned earlier that Satan accuses us day and night before God. But that's no longer the case. If you remember all the way back to our Revelation series, Revelation 12 says that Satan has been thrown down. He has been disbarred from entering the courtroom of heaven. His accusations are no longer valid. God has canceled the record of our debt by nailing it to the cross. He has disarmed the power of Satan against us. Revelation says we have conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus fulfilled God's promise to destroy the serpent. He fulfilled the words of Genesis 15. He crushed the serpent's head and he defanged the serpent. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has extinguished the power of hell against us. Therefore, our sins, sorry, therefore our tongues no longer need to be set on fire by hell. Christ has made us a new creation. He has purified the spring of our hearts. He has detoxified our tongues and he has given us his spirit to walk in newness of life so that we can bear good fruit in thought, word, and deed. Now, we're not going to do this perfectly. Analogies always break down at some point, and we are not, after all, trees. We will not perfectly produce good fruit. And James is aware of this. Remember back in verse 2, he said, We all stumble in many ways, not least of which with our tongues. The question is, do we recognize this? Do we see the inconsistency in our words? Back in chapter 1, James says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Brothers and sisters, we deceive our hearts by not recognizing the inconsistency of our speech. So let us not deceive our hearts, but let us perceive our hearts. Let us be aware of the power of our tongues, aware of their capacity for good and evil. Let us listen to the stethoscope of our hearts and say with Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips. All the while firmly trusting that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So as we conclude, I want us to consider one, area we can, one way we can grow in this area. One way we can grow in loving our brother instead of cursing one made in the image of God. And I want us to consider what it means to heed Jesus' words to pray for your enemies. Given the election in a couple days, maybe you view your enemies as those with differing political views. Or it's that person on social media that when you see their name, you're immediately critical of whatever they're going to say. I don't mean praying that God would give them what they got coming. Don't pray, Joe, God, 
Jobab needs help. Will you please show him that? But I mean praying for their good, actually. Praying for them like you'd pray for yourself, pray for your spouse or your kids. And if you're truly praying for them, then it becomes just a bit harder to curse them, just a bit harder to relish their wrongs. And Rob kind of stole my thunder, but in this way, we follow Christ's example. Even as he was hanging on the cross and suffering the penalty for our sin, he took time to pray for his enemies, praying that the Father would forgive them. Brothers and sisters, we were his enemies, and God has forgiven us. He has purified our hearts and detoxified our tongues. So may we use our tongues to bless our father, to kiss our mother, and to love our brother. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, even when it's a tough pill to swallow, even when you are showing us our sin and our neediness um, and showing us areas where we need to grow. But we thank you that you have given us your son and that you have provided relief for the things that we could not change ourselves and that you have given us your spirit to be with us and to help us as we walk along this journey. As we take strides um, seeking to grow in Christ-likeness, yet stumble along the way, thank you that you give us your church to help point us to you, to help remind us of your goodness and your kindness to us and how you're with us always to the end of the age. I pray that we would use our tongues, Father, to bless you, to consider the weight of our words and to know that they have great power for that we would use them to love others, to bless others, and to bless you. We pray this in Jesus' name.